This episode of Truth's Table is brought to you by The Witness, a Black Christian collective. Sisters, how y'all feel? Brothers, y'all all right? If this is your first time at Truth's Table, welcome to the table. And if you've been sitting at the table with us all these years, we are so grateful that you have been listening to us through these years. And we are inviting you to partner with us and support our work at patreon.com slash truthstable. Now pull up a chair and have a seat at the table with us. Hey y'all, welcome to Truth Table, Midwives of Culture for Grace and Truth. I'm Akemini. And I'm Christina. This table is built by Black women and for Black women. So welcome to the table, see How you doing, girl? I am doing. I'm doing. <laughs> Just, it's been a very long, it's been a long week and it's, it's Wednesday. So that's how I'm doing. But how are you doing today? I lived a couple lifetimes in this week. <laughs> I know. So it's over the top. It's, it's, it's given exhaustion. I'm like, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. This is too much. I'm so <laughs> but I'm good. I'm yet holding on. I, I'm, I'm good. I'm good, honestly. 2023 has been good to me. I ain't going to lie to you. But, you know, this week was just, whoa, all right. Okay. Yeah. It all is right. 2023. You know, I don't typically I don't typically label my years as some saints do. But it is like the harvest year. I do believe that it is the year. And by that, and people oh, always assume yeah. harvest means good. But not necessarily. I think it's a reckoning year. And so depending on what you've been sowing, this is what's coming up for you. So that's You're gonna that's, reap. That, that's what I think that's is right. happening this year. So let's that's get right, right church and let's go home. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. This you know, this this episode ain't about the messiness of ministry. But honestly, hey. we need an episode about that. Actually. Oh, do we? Do yeah, we? Yeah, we do. We're gonna put yeah. that down. <laughs> But speaking of anti-messiness in ministry, uh, we are, segue, you like that, you like that. Uh, we All are right. joined today by by three friends. One of, them, one of them is more than a friend to me. He's my beloved. But, oh. but three, three brothers in the gospel and three pastors. Um, right. That are that are committed to the non-messy. We doing the best we can, Church Amen. of the Lord Jesus Christ, and so we are excited to bring them to the table for our people. So, uh, Kimmy, why don't you why don't you let uh, let people know who is here today? Yeah, well, first of all, the topic on the table, y'all. We still in our series of Black Brother, we love you. And this installment of the series, this episode, is Black Men in Christianity and the Church. Because you know those are some distinct Come know, on. categories. Layers. So, Layers. Uh, so we thought it'd be wise and good to bring some friends to the table. Not just friends, but ministers of the gospel. Come on, pastors. Come on, whom we call friends, whom we love, are here. <laughs> Brother pastors are here at the table with us. So we have a very, very dear friend of mine, Watson Jones, the third Reverend Doctor. The Watson Jones the third at the table here. We also have Reverend Dr. Micah Edmondson here at the table. And we also have Reverend, I'm gonna prophesy, Dr. Tyler (laughs) Burns here at the table. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the table, y'all. Please, how do you feel? I feel I'm feeling good. great. I'm one minute in, and I got a prophetic word, so I'm I'm, I'm feeling good. <laughs> well, it's well, I well. I feel right at home. Grab that joint, reaching up and Come on, pulling man. it all the way down into my life. That's what I'm talking about. He affirms it. He affirms it. I affirm it. Christina's over here talking about harvest. I take it. 
and, and Kimini is prophesying, I take all of it. Yeah. Her car yeah. said, reach down and grab, reach up and grab it. Hey, hey, hey. When praises go up, blessings come down. So we should, we, we should, we should warn the people this will be an, an extra churchy episode of Truth. Yes, yes, it will. Yes, it be ye warned in advance. It's going to go there. We are I got my shouting hat ready. That's right. Well, you know, before we even dive into our conversation, because, you know, we're already cutting up. Why don't we, um, if you all don't mind, brothers, introducing yourselves. Watson, we'll go with you. Then Dr. Uh, Micah Ebenson and then Tyler, please, we will, please, please introduce yourselves to the people. <laughs> I am Watson Jones III, and uh, I am f- formerly the senior pastor of Compassion Baptist Church here in Chicago. I currently now serve as the executive pastor of Salem Baptist Church of Chicago with Pastor Charlie Dates. And uh, I live here on the south side of the city. My wife is Kelly with three three beautiful black children, Yeshia, Watson, the fourth, and Ellison. Uh, and, you know, since y'all prophesied it, I'm working on a doctorate degree. And I'm believing God. I'm believing God in my soul to be done, Lord willing, by this time before my t- kids turn 50. Hey. <laughs> Listen, I'm hey. gonna tell you, it's the kids that slow you down. Hey. Real yes. Yes. yes, yes, yes. Maybe, amen. amen. Okay, yeah. Micah, uh, please. I'm, yeah, I'm I'm, uh, I'm Micah Edmondson. Uh, I am a pastor of Koinonia Church uh, here in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, I'm I, along with uh, Dr. Christina here, uh, helped to plant that church together, and I've uh, been serving that church for about three years. Um, I uh, received a doctoral degree from Calvin Seminary uh, in systematic theology, and um, I you know, published a book uh, about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s approach to the problem of evil and suffering. So that's called the power of unearned Sur- suffering. And um, and yeah, just just uh, yeah, excited to be uh, at the table. I, I am the, the happy and and humbled uh, husband of Dr. Christina here. And um, I'm father to Zoe and Shiloh. So uh, so thanks for having me at the table. We're glad to have you at the table, brother. Last but not least, wow. brother Tyler Burns. What a joy. What a joy um, to be here at the table again and to just glean from you all and learn so much from you all. Um, for those who are unfamiliar, my name is Tyler Burns, and I serve as the lead pastor of All Nations Worship Assembly in Pensacola, Florida. Um, and I've served that church in various iterations through various transitions now for 13 years and i um, happy to do so. I'm married to my wife, Mylena. We have two kids, Trinity and Benaya, and also help to lead an organization called The Witness um, and host a podcast called Pastor Mike with my brother, who's no stranger to you all, Dr. Jamar Tisby. So I'm so excited and honored to be in the house, hopefully add, some, uh, add something to the table, hopefully bring something to the table. Because you never enter into a place empty-handed. So I hope to bring something to the table. Amen. 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 Well, we are so grateful that we have all of you here at the table to talk about this very, very, very important, you know, topic and subject. You know, um, you know, a lot of um, research studies and polls talk about the um, you know, dis- disproportionate church attendance um, and say even just maybe um, a, a adherence to spiritual di- disciplines um, cut across between black men and black women. And so I, you know, we thought it was really important to have you all here at the table. You know, some stats say that 85% you know, of the church, the church is comprised, comprised of 85% women. 
right? Um, and then we have stats about like the frequency with which, you know, people attend and um, how um, Black men tend to um, not attend church as frequently. Um, and so I would love to hear from you all about your, your thoughts about why, uh, I guess it's a two-parter, why uh, are you uh, um, compelled and convinced uh, about Christianity uh, being the only way? And also what keeps you connected uh, to the church? But then also what, what do you think are the reasons why Black men um, are not in the pews at the same degree or same level as Black women? Let's lift up that first question, Kimmy, because I think we need to take some time unpacking their own stories. Um, okay, sure, yeah. Yeah. Watson, how about you? Yeah, I'll jump first. Uh, so um, for me, my reason for why I believe Jesus is the only way, you know, I, I think I can go through all the intellectual things, but for me, it's a personal thing. Um, when I look back on my life, you know, I got saved at 14 years old. And, you know, I got saved out of some really rough stuff. You know, most people who know me at least will struggle to believe some of my younger days and how I was. I met Jesus. Now, I ain't see him face to face. You know, we're going to see him face to face one day. But I met the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ met me in the basement of my mother's house on January 5th, 1999. And for me, it was undeniable that that he was real. Now, I had always grown up in church, of course, believing to some degree that Jesus was, you know, the doctrinal thing. She's the son of God, all that stuff. But it was then that Jesus became real to me. And uh, and so, you know, there are, of course, all the other historical things that tie into our, ourselves as black people and all those things. And I could talk about that at another point. But for me, it's because Jesus means something to me personally, number one. And number two, uh, so, sort of si similar on the same vein. I walk with them. I talk with him. And and because I spend time with him um, and I don't, I don't you know, I don't want to I don't want to subjectify this to just mere experiential stuff. But I, I think there is something real about it. Like Jesus. I don't think Jesus is six ways. There are six ways to God. And Jesus is one of them. I am convinced in my knower, as my Pentecostal friends would say that Jesus is the only way. And uh, right. and and so I, I am convinced, convicted. I have been compelled by it. And, and, and the daily walking with the Lord constantly affirms it. But then even as I look at my life, you know, things in my life that I could not change, uh, that Jesus changed. Now, you know, there's some struggles I still got to this day at 38 years old, still some struggles I got. But the fact that I could stand as a Christian when I know prior to meeting Jesus in 99, I tried to change, tried to be better, tried to modify myself. Mm -hmm. And and at that moment in my mother's basement, I was so compelled by the Lord Jesus Christ that at least that element of my life changed and and I've never gone back. And um, and I can only I can only say that's because of the power of what I would say is the resurrected Lord. And so. Mm -hmm. It's the fact that I, I that he saved me. I know that's probably not the intellectual answer that I could give, but no, no. but but for me, it starts there and then moves out to evidences and all those things. Amen, amen. Thank you, I love that. 
you know, uh, Micah, would you love to share a little bit about your own story and your own, yeah, commitment to Jesus? Yeah. So um, uh, Jesus is the savior uh, from my sin and my suffering. And, um, you know, I, I I was one that uh, it's interesting about that year, 1999. That's when the Lord met me as well. So God bless you, brother Watson. You, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit older than you, my brother. And so I, I wasn't in my mom's basement. I was at I was at a little Pentecostal church in Newport News, Virginia. Uh, I was in college and I happened to go to um, a, re- a revival uh, for a, a college colleague. Uh, I was in, I studied physics in college and one of my physics colleagues uh, was a was the drummer for a local Pentecostal church, a little storefront church. And he invited us out to the revival. And even though um, I was not really walking with the Lord, uh, I had enough sort of uh, civil religion. I had enough sort of just common sense to like not refuse that invitation because uh, even though I was living like a heathen, I did not want to, uh, you know, kind of admit that I was a heathen. Right. So I actually I went to that that uh, that revival and that's where the Lord found me. And um, it was, you know, I was I was convinced by the kindness of God that the Lord who um, had seen all my junk, all my mess, all my hypocrisy, all my rebellion, all my uh, all my uh, sins against others. That Lord uh, had grace that could even reach me. He would for, offer me forgiveness of sins and and an opportunity to uh, to be His child and to walk with Him. And I had never really experienced a love like that. And so that is the love that compelled me, and that's the love that continues to compel me. Um, and as I and and that, as I said, that same Jesus that rescued me from my sin, uh, as I began to walk with Him. Uh, I realized also had something real to say to my suffering as well and um, and delivers us from the bondage of sin, uh, the bondage of the effects of sin as well. So that's why I follow the Lord. Amen. Amen. God over Amen. sin and suffering. I love that. Tyler, Amen. Yeah. talk to us. I'm, I'm so encouraged hearing testimonies. You know, I know that's something that we don't often do in modern church, but hearing testimonies has deeply encourage me of, of saints who have gone before and then also saints who are yes. in the same time trying to serve Jesus well and faithfully. And, you know, speaking of serving Jesus, I grew up with proximity, not just to Christianity, but church. So I grew up as a PK and I remember those days of unloading chairs from the van. And I remember those days of being there hours before and loading and unloading. And for many people peering in from the outside, me serving Jesus was the logical choice. It was the logical next step because my parents did it and they served. And so me serving Jesus and then also entering into ministry was logical. But what I have seen in proximity both to uh, people who I love and care about and, and my own family is how illogical some of the choices have been in terms of what we would desire to do and what Christ has compelled us to do. So I remember thinking um, as a very logical young man uh, when I was six years old, that I don't wanna, I didn't wanna go to church. I don't wanna go to church. Why would I go to church? Um, there were so many more fun things to do on a Sunday morning, uh, but my father preached a particular message that day 
that deeply convicted me. Now, this was before we had children's church. Now, I know everyone has children's church and kids ministry and lasers and lights and all kinds of things, but I had to sit on the front row um, and take notes. Hey, hey, I couldn't hey. go to sleep. I, I had a, a fair share hey. of peppermints, you know, those red and whites um, that right. kept it's, me awake. The red and, white. and I remember my father talking about sin and its consequence. And I remember mm. thinking to myself, I had never heard this the way that he was teaching it and preaching it at that point. And uh, he talked about the consequence of sin. And for me, growing up in Florida, um, I could understand heat. If there was nothing else I could understand, I could understand heat. And so we got in the uh, car and I told my parents, I said, whatever we need to do to keep me away from the hot place, um, that's, what, that's all I could tell. And my father sat down with me that night and broke the gospel down in ways I could understand. I remember feeling a wave of conviction and grief uh, that I had offended God. And it's weird to even say that because I was so young, I didn't really think that I had the capacity to feel that. But I could understand and feel the presence of God. And I knelt down next to my bed and my father led me to Christ um, at six. And within that clarity, the conviction and grief over sin and suffering and pain and how people are mistreated has never left me. Um, it has never been something I've wanted to forsake. It's never been something that I've wanted to step away from. But then I've also seen how Christ has transformed the things I would desire and want and the things that I would desire to pursue and given me new desires and given the people around me new desires. And witnessing that up close, not just in church, but in ministry as well, has been transformative and has only reaffirmed that which I've already known. Uh, which is that Jesus is the way, truth, and life. Um, and both, all three are important, that he is way, truth, and life. Um, and that's why I believe. That is so good and so yes. important. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. way, truth, and life. So I am so glad to know all of you, and I'm so glad that you all know the Lord. Um, it, it does, it makes a difference. It does matter. It does matter. Um, I, you know, there are times when I, when I imagine myself of who I would be apart from the Lord's way, truth and life, apart from the Lord's ethics in my life, the Lord's value system in my life. And I'm just, I just wanted to pause before we kind of get into more of our questions, but I wonder if any of you have had that thought. Of, of how you would be showing up today if you did not have the Lord's ethics and way and light guiding your life. And all three of you don't have to answer, but if that resonates with any of you, if you want to just reflect on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. If I hadn't had his way, his ethics, his light, I'd either be dead in jail or will have probably robbed or murdered somebody by now. And, um, and, and that's that's a real thing. That's what the Lord pulled me from and and has over time. I mean, that's over 20 something years now, but over time has has softened my heart in many ways, has expanded my heart in many ways, has whooped me, you know, and uh, disciplined me in ways because, you know, I'm not always obedient to the Lord mm -hmm. and and has showed me shown me a better way and a way that has more peace, a way that's not necessarily easier, but a way that has more peace, a way that has more joy mm -hmm. um, and, and has proven 
that his way is definitely beneficial for a young black boy from the South side of Chicago mm-hmm. and all that that means. Mm-hmm. It's not easy, but it's, it's not easy, but yeah. it's peaceful. I think if I had not had the Lord uh, ethics and way in my life, uh, I would have been living a socially respectable, selfish and exploitative life um, that looked one way on the outside, um, but actually was headed straight mm-hmm. for hell. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, uh, it's it's frightening because um, I had a way of deluding myself, right? I had a mm-hmm. way of living in such a way that uh, sort of garnered uh, the world's approval. And yet uh, I was in my heart and in my mind and in, the, in my way of living and, and in my way of, of actually um, walking before the Lord, living a life that uh, had me at the center of it and had me at the top. Uh, as the ultimate end. And, um, and, you know, so I think that's, that's where I would have been. I would have been just living completely self-deluded and a selfish life that had me at the center. Um, and, uh, and, and I would have been completely empty and yet, um, and headed straight for hell and living a life that, that was self-delusional. I can only amen. I can only yeah. amen. Amen. Yeah. Absolutely. Same. Same mm-hmm. exact thing. So easy to perform church, perform rituals, perform uh, religion before God and perform your um, perform your commitment to God before people. So easy. That's right. And, yes. you know, if not for Jesus, I would only be an actor, uh, not a son. And I feel as though Christ has saved me to be a son um, and not a performer. That's right. That's right. And the son receives the inheritance of the Lord. Mm, Amen. Mm, not Amen. the performer. Not the performer. Not the performer. That's right. Be turning tricks in hell. <laughs> On that note. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's true. That was mic drop. That was a moment. That was a good one. <laughs> It was the face for me. It was the face that you made. It this was. was I saw every church mother I've ever had in that one day. Clutch their pearls. Hey. I saw it. I saw it. I had my grandmother's granddaughter. Hey, look, you get a green and white peppermint for that one, my sister. Not just green, green and white. white. Not the green. Green and white. That's only for revival. At the bottom Our of the bag. Service. That's right. <laughs> No worthers for you, none. No worthers. Oh my God, that is oh, that's you knew you were special when you got got a word. Oh, you knew you was a good thing when you had worthers. You got worthers and you didn't get pinched in church. You knew you was. That might be Easter. That's 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 the black middle class church right there. The worthers. Yes, it was. (laughs) Pilgrim Baptist Church. Yes, it was. Well, let's take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to dig in and ask y'all some more questions about black men, Christianity, and the church. So don't go nowhere, y'all. Be right back. Keep it locked. (laughs) Sisters, there isn't a conference like Joy and Justice. This year, the Joy and Justice Conference is back with its theme, Rise Up and Flourish. See, most conferences are heavily intellectual or heavily inspirational, but the Joy and Justice 23 conference is the perfect combination of both. It's a space for hope, refreshing, and a place to honor God as you were created to be. At the Rise Up and Flourish conference, we will tackle the injustices that try to hold Black people down and steal our joy. For two days, we will gather like family, 
The Witness, a Black Christian Collective team, and their lineup of dynamic guests will speak to your core concerns. You will encounter dynamic worship, thoughtful presentations, and meaningful conversations that will empower you to experience the joy and justice you seek. The conference will include powerful talks from Danielle Koch, Jamar Tisby, Tyler Burns, Christina Edmondson, and yours truly. Life-giving worship will be led by Chantel Varnado, founder of Kingdom United Collective. We will also celebrate the upcoming release of the BCC's Vice President Ali Henney's new book, I Won't Shut Up, Finding Your Voice When the World Tries to Silence You. We want to see you at the Joy and Justice Conference Rise Up and Flourish 2023 on June 23rd through June 24th, 2023 in Chicago's South Suburbs. The conference will be held at Lilydale First Baptist Church's Legacy Campus located at 424 Indian Wood Boulevard, Park Forest, Illinois, 60466. Buy your ticket today at riseupandflourish.com. Regular price tickets are $125 and $200 at the door. But Truth Table listeners will receive 25% off of your ticket price when you use the code TRUTHTABLE at checkout. Don't forget, you'll get 25% off when you use the promo code TRUTHTABLE at checkout when you purchase your conference ticket at riseupandflourish.com. Register today and we will see you there. And we are back at the table with our brothers, Watson Jones III, Micah Edmondson, and Tyler Burns, of course, all Reverend Doctors, here at the table to talk to us about Black men in Christianity and the church. Okay. So, you know, um, we've, we heard about your story, about how you love Jesus and where you would have been, you know, if the Lord had not been on your side. But I would love to hear from you all about, you know, like for me as a single black woman going into the church by a black church context, by and large, oftentimes you see the church teeming with black women and you only see a few black men. Right. And this this, the data does bear this out and the stats show, you know, that uh, uh, usually church attendance is uh, predominantly dominated by uh, by women, right? About 85% of women comprise um, the body of the church or church attendance. Can you all talk about the reasons why you think um, Black men um, do not attend church as frequently and why they might be missing from church? Are there some systemic factors, you know, that we ought to consider as well in that? Um, Anybody can jump in on that um, who's, yeah. Who feels they got a word? <laughs> I'll take a jump first. Yeah. Um, you know, as, aside from, I think, it, I think it's not necessarily unique to black churches either. I think it's historic. Mm-hmm. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, that's one. Um, and I'm not trying to minimize that. I think it's it's historic yeah. in a sense. Churches always had a lot of women. Mm-hmm. I, but I think when I think about church, black church, and you know, and I, I'm going to speak from Chicago. You know, that's where. Well, I did about pastor in Philadelphia too. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. When I think about it, I, I don't know if church, the way that we do it, everything from the way that we preach to the music we sing to the way that we dress, I don't know how much it speaks to men. And 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 what I've noticed, and this is just what I've noticed, you know, as a preacher. So times where I have preached sermons that I would consider 
or as folk would say, dumped the house. Um, those sermons tend to be sermons that I not, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not one who believes in manipulation in the pulpit. So hear me say that. I don't believe in that, but I do what believe is, in What does dump the house mean? Great, great to again. ask. Great to mm-hmm. ask. So it's, it's when, it's when a sermon is preached and the Lord really does show up. Lord meets you there. And in a black church, it tends to have a lot of celebration. It'll have a lot of accompanying of an orchestra, of a, of a, of a, of an organ, the preacher get happy. And sometimes, sometimes the preacher begins to move from regular speech to some sort of a cadence and then a call and the church is on their feet and a lot of sweating, a lot of screaming, a lot of hollering, all those things. And what I have seen, which men respond to that. So I'm not saying men are not in that, you know, uh, at Salem, I've seen it at compassion. I've seen it. Men, Men are in it. It's not that they're not. What I have seen is I tend to hear more feedback from men when I preach a sermon that deals with, uh, all of my sermons are anchored in life and are anchored in the real world and what we face. But when I when I preach a sermon that uh, that people perceive speaks to reality, and I'm not just talking about the existential realities of suffering and pain and hurt, that's all universal. But I'm talking about like when I'm critiquing some societal ill, and and I'm going to speak to that in a second. But when I'm speaking to a failing education system, or if I'm critiquing an unjust law. Or something like that. I have seen men come up to, and and those are sermons that don't get shouts. Now, sometimes there are moments in there that are celebratory, uh, but I I I have seen men come up to me after, like, "Yo, pastor, that sermon really spoke to me." And I'm thinking, like, so all the other ones didn't. All these sermons I done gave all year, none of them spoke to you, but this one. And I think some of that has to do with, and and I don't think you know. I just think it it's because of of what we talk about. It is. And not saying that we need to shift what we talk about. I just think some things, uh, if we're not addressing certain realities that people face, you know, the realities that, you know, black men, black women, black black women struggle too, but black men are the bane of American society in a lot of ways. A whole bunch of us are locked up in jail. Um, like just, 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 just a, a heartbreaking amount of us are locked up in jail. Heartbreaking amount of us are killing each other in the street. Um, you know, and so, and then there are many of us who are successful too, but there are a lot of us who are not. So when you, when they feel like God is speaking to our on the ground situation, I tend to get response there. So when I look at, I thought of this, you know, I, I knew, knew you were going to ask this. I thought of this question and I thought about how the nation of Islam in the fifties you know, when Malcolm would write in his book about how they would go fishing, there's something about, though we know that the message was not true, and though we know that certainly Malcolm led a lot of people to hell if they ain't turned back, there's something about Ozzie Davis saying he was our living black manhood. What is, and, and why Dr. King was not, you know, Dr. King, who was, who was for nonviolence, which I tend to be for, by the way. Um, Dr. King, Malcolm X is oftentimes portrayed as not necessarily for that, but protecting ourselves by any means necessary. So there, there is a sense where some of the program of the nation, which I think is a good picture of what you see black men getting called to in a lot of ways, from hip hop to just even my dad to some degree, there is a there is a masculinity in that. And I can't quite put my finger on it, 
where it seems like, all right, we're taking ownership of our world. And Salem Baptist Church, under the leadership of James Trent Meeks Sr., was a church I feel like that intentionally targeted men without going down the toxic ways of deep chauvinism and all that stuff, but but targeted men and portrayed a masculine, whatever picture you think that is, in urban Amer- in urban Chicago and said, we gonna show up. So at Salem, when people, gang members would be in front of the church shooting, 500 men went outside and stood out there. And that attracted men because that was men showing up. But I think in most churches, we don't we don't see that because we tend to we preach to our audience and 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 I you know and I don't want to I don't want to you know hyper generalize here, but if I say the right things with the right cadence and the right sound, it will gain the right ex- response, and the people who are going to respond mostly are going to be women. And I don't necessarily know if we think that way, but it's just it's just the science of that thing. I said a lot. You brother, I good helpful. Yeah, yeah. Um, go ahead, Michael. Mm-hmm. I I think that um, I affirm so much of what my brother just said. I, I do want to say this. I do think that if we were to go beyond just the bounds of the black church and um, the black church experience, and we sort of look at broader trends, and why isn't why is it that um, the church is comprised mostly of women, no matter no matter what uh, part of the church you're looking at. Um, and even going all the way back to the first century, right? Um, I think it's because a lot of times men are not socialized to embrace vulnerability or uh, or dependence, right? And when walking with Jesus uh, calls for an embrace of vulnerability and dependence, right? Um, that's just not something that men oftentimes um, are really socialized in healthy ways to embrace um, to say, you know what, it's actually, I mean, we, we sort of look at uh, vulnerability like something that is not masculine, that is not manly, that is something that we are seeking to kind of avoid in, our, in various ways. And yet when we come to Jesus, the first thing we have to do is become vulnerable and say, you know what, I, I'm, depending, I'm dependent on someone else to save me. I'm dependent on someone else to guide me. I'm dependent on someone else to give me what I need so, so that I can flourish. You know, so those are things that uh, a lot of times just we struggle with as men, you know, and I think that as we get to come to know Jesus, he actually begins to help us to understand that our our manhood and, and our masculinity is actually not diminished, but exemplified in our vulnerability and dependence. Right. So um, that's that's actually um, that's actually, I think, what the what uh, the part of what Genesis uh, one and two is really getting at in terms of the creation of of of, of male and female, and um, and actually saying it's not good that the man should be alone. In other words, the man can the man is dependent on someone else to actually fulfill this calling. The man can't do this by himself. Um, he part, and, and that's not a bad thing. That's not undermining of of his masculinity to be dependent and vulnerable. It's, it's just that God created us to be that way. God created us to actually not be not be uh, independent of one another, but in mutual dependence and self and supportive of one another. So I think that's part of I think that's part of it. Um, you know, Jesus said it's not easy for a, a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
And I will say this, um, in patriarchal societies, um, maleness is a kind of social currency, you know? And, um, and oftentimes we want to hold on to sort of the privilege of maleness. And that, and that is a kind of wealth in a, sen- in a sense, if you're in a patriarchal society that rewards maleness in various ways. And so it's hard for us to see, it's hard for us to embrace that posture of humility that would cause us to actually um, be in a, in a setting in which we find ourselves co-equal with women and actually co-heirs with women and actually sharing space and sharing power with women. Very, very good. Wow. No, Thank that's, you for that. That's so good. Both of these, I mean, this is just um, so enriching in the insights and clarity um, that you you both are bringing. Um, to kind of continue on in that same vein, I, it's there's, there's obviously there's systemic factors. There's influence of the white evangelical church. There's influence of broader society. There's the uh, demonization of blackness, all the above. But I think if we're going to talk about something to critique, I always want to start with my own camp and how has my own camp kind of influenced the way and shaped the way in which we present faith and following Jesus. And personally, I've been under the, under the conviction lately that we present church. We have stri- striven and desired and in the church, we are far too spectacular. And there is this pressure to be spectacular. I, I think it was Henry Nouwen talks about the temptation of being spectacular as something that's common within the motif of ministry. And it's not just in how we have ministry promotion, but I think it's also in how people have been conditioned and discipled by us unwittingly to present themselves as spectacular. And so there is now the performance of Christianity on social media, in mixed spaces, um, in person to present something that is greater and more elaborate and more um, poignant or whatever it may be to others versus being faithful. And I think this plays in the hearts of men because, because we are not willing to be vulnerable and because we have not been socialized into dependence, now we feel as though we're behind just by looking at people who present themselves as spectacular. And if the pastor is not real and accessible, and if the minister is not touchable and does not share weaknesses and pains, um, how will we expect other people to follow in this way? They'll assume that there is something deficient within themselves. And they'll assume that there is something wrong with themselves and not that we are in a daily faith walk. And I believe that in particular, uh, the, the Pentecostal uh, expression of church and, and the charismatic expression of church presents a facade often and presents a mirage uh, that says we've got it all together and we're so on fire for God and there's no issues mm. and no problems and rails against everyone but ourselves and highlights the problems of everyone but ourselves. And sometimes right. we have to take a step back and say with these with these carefully curated graphics and marketing mm. and with the, the the videos and the all these things, as great as it is for us to be relevant, have we missed the heart of what the gospel truly is? which is that without Christ, we are nothing. And mm. without Christ, we are totally dependent upon mm-hmm. his grace and his mercy. And I think that's still good news for people. And that's still good news for men and will still resonate with men. But we have been caught up. I, I was telling someone recently 
that it is so tempting in ministry to do ministry not to please God, but to impress other pastors. It's so easy to fall into that line of crafting a ministry that will impress others in ministry rather than being pleasing and faithful to God. And I think we have lost the plot in in our COVID times and in our Mm. desire to be digitally relevant. We just lost the plot and men don't resonate with us trying to be spectacular all the time. I think they resonate with us being accessible and real and human and saying the grace and mercy of God continues to touch our lives as well. So helpful. Thank you all for for sharing. I mean, whenever people give an analysis around that question, men in the church, specifically black men in the church, it is a, it's actually very risky <laughs> to, to put some cards on the table to even to, to try to analyze it in ways that are, that are thoughtful and dignifying uh, to, to, to black men and to uh, the life of the church with not falling into uh, kind of gender tropes or, or things like that. So I just appreciate you all uh, stepping up to that question and thoughtfully um, processing through it together for the many, many people to listen to what you have to say. Uh, oh, at True Saver, we spend a lot of time with this question. It's an implicit question that we don't often say out loud, but it really does govern what we do, which is what what is the good news for Black women in the diaspora? What is the good news for them? And I would wonder if you, you could spend some time in your own way uh, lifting up and answering that question. Um, as you just did so so bravely a minute ago, what what uniquely is the good news of Jesus Christ? What is the good news that Jesus has for Black men? And we can just we can uh, park here in the United States. What is the good news that Jesus has for Black men today? Mm-hmm. So God uh, announced him Himself to His people after rescuing them from Egypt as the Lord God who brought them out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, right? And so he, he announces himself as an, an, an emancipatory God. You know, if, if we really want to know who he is, um, the way in which we are to remember him and, and, and even the way in which we are to live, all of it is governed uh, by this, this identity that he is an emancipatory God and he's given us an emancipatory way of life, freeing us from sin and suffering. And so, um, I think I think that's really the good news for uh, for black men here in the United States, because our our experience has been marked by suffering. It's been marked by the wrestling with the, the, the fundamental problem of pain in this country. And how do we respond to it? How do we uh, how do we navigate it in ways that um, that are honest about the pain, but also continue to be hopeful and continue to allow us the strength to go forward? So, so the good news is that we have a God who, who sees our suffering, who sees our pain, and in Christ has done something about it, um, uh, and and will continue to do something about it until it is completely alleviated, um, and and completely restored at the return of Christ Himself. So, um, I think that's I think that that is the fundamental good news, and and the thing about that is. Uh, it is good news that has come to us despite the ill intentions of slaveholders, uh, despite the ill intentions of uh, of those who would um, mischaracterize our faith. Um, and and so um, I think that's one of the greatest testaments to the truth of Christianity is that Jesus 
showed us who he really was despite the slave master, right? Mm-hmm. So this is, yeah. a, this is a story that at the heart of it is a story of liberation. And there was no piece of it that they could give Black people that did not have that liberation in it. You know, it's interesting because they would, you know, the, they had something called the slave Bible in which they, um, the slave masters would uh, take out large portions of the Bible. Um, and, and they forbade black people from actually having in, uh, having a, a real engagement with certain parts of the Bible because they were because they understood that this is a book of liberation. And if these black folk get a hold of this book, then they are going to actually uh, understand God's will for them to be free. But the thing about the Bible is that it's Jesus. My dad and my late father used to say it's Jesus all day, baby. You know, I mean, you can't. There's no part of the Bible that does not have the emancipatory God in it. And so, even, uh, even, even the the pieces that they believed were safe to give these enslaved people were still filled with the liberation they showed us that we were co-heirs in Christ, that we were children of God, that we had dignity and worth, and that God's intention for us was to live as free people. So um, so I just think that's such wonderful, amazing, great news for black men. And that is the news that we need to hear. Um, and it, 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 yeah, so, uh, so yeah. So the good news <clears throat> for black men first is that Jesus died for your sins. And I, I'm not trying to be elementary here. I think I can't underestimate the importance of that for black men. It means that you didn't have to die for your sins and you can't perfect yourself. But Jesus died and did it for you. Secondly, one of the things about Jesus that there's a few things that amaze me. One is the incarnation and the fact that he is God with us. Um, that says a lot, it rings a lot to me. And I think as a black man, it means the world to me because what it says, a few things is one, Jesus came with us, not just in title, but every element of his life. Mm. You see him with the underbelly of society, every point of it, you see him there. You, you see him identifying with the criminal. And him saying, when I was in jail, you visited me. And him identifying with the sick. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was naked, you clothed me. Mm-hmm. When I was struggling, you were there with me. When, Lord, did I do this? When was when did I do this to you? Because what you've done to the least of these, you've done it also unto me. Um, Jesus is not on the side of power in that way. He is not on the side of power where power is taking and taking and taking. And I think black men need to know that despite what many have tried to tell us about Jesus and despite the fact that you see many today in the news and the newspaper who are just blatantly cold-hearted racists and they use Jesus's name to substantiate their mess and have always done that in this country that Jesus does not stand there and bless it and bless. And, you know, they may have a lot of money. They may have even power, but it doesn't mean Jesus gave it to them. And that Jesus has always identified with the one who has been criminalized. I mean, his own journey to the cross was one of an innocent criminal. That's what was happening in the natural. He was a man who was had trumped up charges put on him 
and was killed by powerful people who felt that he was a threat to their to their position. Why is that good news to black men? We as people, as black men, have have struggled at the hands of white people in a number of ways. We have been raped, too. We have been arrested. We have been beaten. We have been broken. We have been locked out of. We have been criminalized. We have been all these things. And Jesus with me says that he is not on their side when it's done. He is right here with me. Mm. And then if I have to trace a thread through our own history, we can see how he has moved on our behalf time and time and time again as a people. Um, and not not to elevate us over any other people, you know, because I know there are some some of y'all cousins who do that, not to elevate us over any other people, but to say that because Jesus so interestingly ties himself to those who suffer for whatever reason, and not necessarily in a soteriological way, but just just, just because of what he does, he has stood with us. But because he is with us, I think it means I do not have to I don't have to live in anger. Mm-hmm. I don't have to live in bitterness. I don't have to pick up arms and to go kill anyone. I actually can follow the way of Jesus and one of love because the Lord actually will fight my battles. And not just in some eschatological down the road way. He has done it. He has. There, there is a reason why all the world knows Bull Connor's name and it ain't with a smile. They know of him and he is always spoken of a negative light except for the minority of people in the world population who treasure him the whole world who knows his name no one thinks highly of him but look at us as people so the point i raise is that god has a way of taking the high down and bringing them down and raising the low and bringing them up so i don't have to pick up a sword and a gun to go kill but i can walk with jesus who fights my battles and who doesn't who is not docile and just takes it and lays over, but who who was winsome, who won through his suffering, who won through his victorious resurrection. And that after everybody's heartbreak, there is always a resurrection because Jesus got up from the grave. And so for me, I think black people, black men specifically need to know that Jesus is on the street corner. Jesus is in our boardrooms where we are. Jesus is in our classrooms where we are. But Jesus is in the prisons where many of us are. And Jesus is in, Jesus is asking us as churches, what will we say about the many of our boys who pick up guns? And now even many of our sisters who are carjacking as well. What will his body say? and do to that? How will we show up? That this isn't just an idea, but the Lord has a calling on us to to be present in those spaces just as he is. And so, um, yeah. Mm. I don't don't know if I can follow. I'm following preachers. I don't know (laughs) that you have said it all. uh, And it really encompasses what I was going to say, which is what is the good news? It's that... um, for black men, it's that Jesus is real, righteous, and relevant, <laughs> that Jesus is real, that he came among us, that God wrapped himself up in human flesh, didn't keep us away, but came close to us and and was incarnate among us. Uh, but also that Jesus is righteous, that Jesus is the full picture and presentation 
of what a man is supposed to be. Uh, we see Jesus stand up against those in religious power who have misused it. We see Jesus weep and cry. We see Jesus help the poor. Uh, we see Jesus uh, forgive his enemies. Uh, we see Jesus defend those who are weak and on the margins. But also that Jesus is relevant and that if there's any example, it's always interesting whenever there's tragic circumstance or situations that we are familiar with, whether it's hashtags or um, uh, misuse of power or uh, abuse of position, people always cry out for ethic and they always cry out for an ethic. Where are the people who are going to step up in this case? And what heartens me and encourages me is always good news to me is that I can always look at Jesus and find the ethic that people are seeking. And the ethic that I seek is always found in the person and work, an example of Jesus. That Jesus shows up for those whom society deems unworthy of showing up for. Uh, and we see this throughout all of his life and all of his ministry. And so, you know, when I speak to black men, we speak, first of all, to the reality that Jesus lives. <laughs> not lived, but lives, um, that Jesus is righteous in fully presenting what it means to be a man, not just a black man, but a man and a human being as well. Um, but then also Jesus is relevant and whatever we seek, we can find in him. If I, if yes. I could, um, oh, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, I don't, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to take extra time that I don't have, uh, but I do want to just, if, if it's possible, if I could just add one quick thing. Um, and the one quick thing I like that clothes. you're going to your clothes. Go ahead. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, so I do think it's important to point out uh, that Jesus frees men from the ideological bondage of chauvinism and misogyny. Come on, and that is actually good news to men. That's not just that's it is right. certainly that that's is right. good news to women. Come on, absolutely, that. that's good news to women. But it's also good news to men. Right for that's us right. to be free from the from from the devil's bondage that would cause us to believe that we are superior to women, right? Because that robs us of that robs that robs us of wisdom, right? Because uh, we we there there's wisdom that God has given women that we as men need to learn, uh, and Jesus exemplifies this, right? His primary Bible teacher growing up was actually his mother. Uh, and uh, you see that because Mary's Magnificat comes out in themes on the Sermon of the Mount. So we see that, you know, who and, 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 when, and when Jesus is actually, um, you know, going to actually show the very first sign of his of his public ministry, he does it really in many ways in collaboration with his mother who noticed a situation going on, a justice situation happening of a person, a couple right. that was. That was without and a couple that needed some resources. And Jesus, here he is stepping in in collaboration with his mother. Mm -hmm. And so he is. And so Jesus really exemplifies throughout his life um, our calling as men to submit to the wisdom of, of wise women in our lives. Mm -hmm. um, we also are robbing ourselves of, of companionship, of true companionship, mm -hmm. of true of, of really the companionship of walking uh, side by side with our sisters, side by side with our wives, side by mm -hmm. side um, uh, with other women, um, um, because that's really what God has called us to. That that true companionship does not come from an exploitative relationship. Come on. It doesn't come from an oppressive relationship. Mm -hmm. It only comes from a relationship of of equality and equity. Yes. So um, so and 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 so and it, so we are just we are robbing ourselves of the good name of mm -hmm. actually being those who support and walk alongside 
our, our sisters as well. Um, so we're just robbing ourselves of so much freedom that we could have if we would actually, um, if, if we cling to the ideological bondage of misogyny. And we, I just thank the Lord that, that the Lord actually frees us from that. Can I add one more too? Wow. Yes, Watson. Just and we one come more. To our clothes. Go ahead. <laughs> Thank you. I also think too. You know, so many. I think about us as men, and I, I look at this as a, as a, as again a, a, a guy from the South Side of Chicago, and urban South Side of Chicago. And I think about how so much of my experience shaped me, and. Um, I realized one day Kelly said to me, you know, I, I my natural face is like, it's it's sometimes I smile and all that, but like when I was younger, I used to always have like a you know a frown, kind of sort of just be staring at people, and not trusting. You know, you grow up, you know, where I yeah. grew up, you grow up, you know, with people who could shoot you quickly, people who, you know, drug mm-hmm. dealers and gangbangers, all those kind of things. It it forces you as a young black man to become very hard very quickly and to, you know, to be able to survive. It's a survival mechanism. And I think some of the greatest things I see is some of the emotional language that surrounds Jesus. Jesus wept. That Jesus was moved with compassion. And that's important to me. So many black, young black boys and so many black men, even some of us who have to some people made it still struggle with deep anger that comes some of it from childhood stuff some of it from life but some of it because of our station in this country and and i think jesus provides a model to free us from the burden of some of that to because we cannot be open with god if we cannot learn to open that up but then even still it tears our relationships up with our wives it reproduces children who are also angry. It's in their blood. It's it's on a it's hitting them on a molecular level, um, and and so I feel like Jesus. And I don't feel like when I read those kind of things in Scripture and I see those mm-hmm. that kind of language associated with Jesus. Jesus sees a crowd and he's moved with compassion. He sees them and they were a mm-hmm. crowd that were harassed and he's moved with compassion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know that that to to Doctor Michael's point that Jesus provides us that model of what it looks like to be able to be open and vulnerable and free, free, I think from some of those, some of those heavier emotions and tight chested calloused hearts that, that really do, Mm. really do create great distance. Mm. My goodness, brothers, y'all really blessed us here today talking about black men and Christianity and the church. Jesus is real, righteous and relevant. Jesus frees not only black, well, the benefit, we get the benefit of y'all being free from misogyny, misogynoir, sexism. My goodness, what a breakdown. Thank you all so much for joining us at the table. Um, can you all just briefly tell our listeners where they can follow your work, where they can visit your church, just, you know, just in case, because we're hoping that some brothers now, after hearing this, they feel compelled to come to <laughs> church and visit and join. So please, one by one, I'll start with you, Watson, and then and then you all can go. <laughs> at least for the short run, you can find me at the Salem Baptist Church of Chicago, uh, mm-hmm. where the senior pastor is Dr. Charlie Edward Dates. Um, and then, you know, social media, Watson Jones III, 
And then uh, Instagram, Walter Jones 3. I ain't really on Twitter, but, you know. For obvious reasons. I mean, like, <laughs> who, should be? who should be on Twitter? <laughs> thank you. Thank you. How about you, Micah? How are they? Come and visit and follow you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we are. Uh, uh, so you can find us uh, every Sunday at 10 a.m. at uh, at Koinonia Church, uh, 1803 County Hospital Road, right here in Music City, Nashville, Tennessee, uh, in the amazing neighborhood of Bordeaux. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, we're, we're there. You can also visit us online uh, at uh, at uh, Koinonia uh, Nashville dot org. Koinonia Nash, I'm sorry, Koinonia Nashville dot com. Koinonia Nashville dot com. Koinonia is spelled with a K, K O I N O N I A Nashville dot com. Um, and so, and then also, I, I'm a, I'm one of those holdouts that's still on Twitter, and um, and I, I don't engage the whole lot, but I'm out there seeing what's going on, and uh, and and just y'all pray for me. <laughs> what's going on today? We said sometimes you just you know sometimes you got to just ask the Lord to redeem a space and say Lord. <laughs> You know, just you every square inch for you, Jesus. Even if this is- <laughs> he, he's, a, he's a hopeful preacher. Yes, that's hopeful. right. I hold that. I'm not. I'm not optimistic, but I, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. Amen. Yeah. Oh, thank yes, you. Yes. How about you, Tyler? <laughs> um, yeah. So we meet every Sunday afternoon. We meet in the afternoon, 3 p.m. All Nations Worship <laughs> Assembly, Pensacola, um, at 3100 West Soto Street. AllNationsPensacola.com is the website. Um, also would love to give a special invite to all our True Sable listeners to join us for the Witnesses National Conference, uh, yes. Joy and Justice Conference um, in Chicago, June 23rd, 24th, or Chicago land, I should say, June 23rd, 24th. True um, Sable will rise, be in the house. We'll be yes, there. True Sable will be in the house, of course, yeah. couldn't do without them. So yeah. riseupandflourish.com is going to be a, an amazing time, hopefully a, um, a healing time for us, a time where we exalt Jesus, but also Focus on what Jesus has to say about justice as well. And so uh, riseupandflourish.com, get your tickets. I uh, hope to see you there and, and hang out with you. And I'm on the the Twitter uh, for Emmanuel, not Elon. Amen. Amen. Yeah, uh, Burns Clan. <laughs> um, and, and IG, Burns Clan. Uh, but I, I only talk about sports and comics and all that. I try to save the deep stuff for the messages on Sunday, but I occasionally <laughs> I throw a couple out there. So I throw a couple out there. So, Oh my goodness. Well, thank y'all brothers <laughs> so much for sitting at the table with us this week. Of course, we want to thank our listeners, our sisters and our brothers for uh, taking the time to sit at the table with us this week as well. So let's keep the conversation going. Um, share your thoughts with us either on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook uh, using the hashtag truth table share your thoughts about black men in Christianity and the church and black women. We have a Facebook discipleship group now, so y'all can follow truth table at, uh, on Facebook, answer the questions so you can join the group and please invite your friends. Follow us again on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at truth table email or email us your thoughts at ask table at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and subscribe on your favorite podcast player. Truth Table has a Patreon account, so y'all can send your love offerings to patreon.com slash truthstable, or you can bless us at our PayPal, which is paypal.me slash truthstable. Truthstable's audio producer is Joshua Heath. Our video producer is Daryl Bradford, and Truthstable's executive producers and hosts are Akemini Uwan and Christina Edmondson. We'll see you soon on the next Truth Table. Bye, y'all.